0: When Christians think of the word worship, usually they, they immediately equate it with singing. Almost everybody does that. You know, we're, we're going to do, do, do worship. I don't know how you do worship. We're going to do worship, and then we'll have the notices and then the sermon, and you know, then afterwards we'll worship. So we think of it as singing. And that, that's unfortunate because in the Bible, the word worship has, has to do with so many more things than just singing. So that's why in the message tonight we're going to be looking at worship as it relates to life, and tomorrow morning we're going to be looking at worship as it relates to mission. But we're going to start with worship and singing. Uh, and I don't want to focus so much on the singing itself as the one we're singing to. Because I think that Christians, we as Christians, can be prone to think of our activity, our activity, more than the one where we're actually singing to. So the title of the message is Singing and Praying to a Triune God. This uh, last month we held a conference, I hosted a conference in California uh, called Worship God 14 Triune, and this was the focus. I first gave this message there, and I was so affected in preparing for the message that when Dave... Asked you, know, what do you want to do here? I said, well, I definitely want to do, I definitely want to do this this message because we can forget that God has revealed Himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit, and that's one of the things that makes Christianity dis- Christianity distinct from all the religions in the world. Now, I I grew up watching The Wizard of Oz, which is how appropriate that I talk about that here. Have you all seen The Wizard of Oz? Everyone's familiar with that story? It wasn't banned because of the name. Well, I used to watch it when there was no internet, no DVDs, n- not even any VHS tapes and nothing, just TV. So we had to wait around when it came on once a year. And we would anticipate it. And I was particularly affected by the scene where the Scarecrow, Dorothy appeared before the great Oz with the... Uh, Scarecrow, the Cowardly Lion, and the Tin Man, and and they were they were making requests of them of, of Oz, and they were just cowering in fear. And and while the, all this interaction is going on, Toto the dog then goes and and pulls back a curtain, which reveals this this old man just kind of doing knobs and stuff and making all this stuff happen. And as soon as Dorothy realizes who's who Oz really is. Her whole approach changes. Her whole, whole demeanor changes. Her whole attitude changes because she realized who it is she's really talking to. And I wonder how many times our approach and our demeanor and our attitude towards God is affected by the way we view him, by the way we think about him. We don't want to think of God in any way other than the way He really is. And the way He really is, is Father, Son, and Spirit. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Singing and praying to a triune God. And we're going to be looking at a passage in Ephesians. So if you'd open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. We're going to be looking at verses... 18 to 21. I realize that a a, the the Trinity is a doctrine that uh, we as Christians often just feel embarrassed about. We're happy to share Jesus with people, but we really don't want to talk about the Trinity. Uh, It's kind of um, you know the weird uncle that you want to just keep out of view. Just hope no one notices them until maybe they've been a Christian for 10 years. Or if we want to sound deep and impressive, we talk about the Trinity and we, uh, the Trinity, the, the perichoresis and the, the dance and the p- partnership and the per- three persons and the one God. And, you know, people just go, wow, you are really deep. That's amazing. Or we think the Trinity is something that crusty theologians talk about behind closed doors and they just, they just kind of work out the details while the rest of the Christians just go on and have happy lives. And that's how we think about the Trinity. I hope that changes as a result of our time together. I really hope that changes. That's my prayer. I hope that we see that praying and singing to God as Father, Son, and Spirit is the greatest incentive we can have or ever hope to have as we pray and sing to Him. It's, I think I mentioned this last night. It's, it's like going from 2D, two-dimensional, to three-dimensional. It's like going from black and white to color. It's the same image, it's just fuller, it's deeper, it's richer. So this is, this is the passage we're going to look at, verses 18 to 21. Leading up to this passage, Paul has been contrasting the behavior of those who know Christ and those who don't. So he makes a number of distinctions. He says, some, some are darkened in their understanding and alienated from God, while others have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He contrasts those who are dead in their sins from those who are alive in Christ. He contrasts those who are wise and those who are unwise, those who are foolish and those who understand what the Lord's will is. It's a series of comparisons and commands in which Paul is helping the Ephesians understand how different their lives are now that they're Christians. And then we arrive at verse 18. And verses 18 through 21 is one long sentence in the original. So Paul is, is is gripped by what he's sharing with the Ephesians right here, and this is what he writes. This is the word of God. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything, to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for the time we've already experienced with you. We thank you for the riches of your grace we've received in Jesus Christ in your spirit who has opened our eyes to see what we could not see before. Be with us now to open our eyes to your glory as you've revealed it to us in Christ and as you've enabled us to see through your spirit. We want to be changed by you, by knowing you better. You have said, Jesus, that Eternal life is this, knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one he has sent. We pray that we might know you better as a result of our time in your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to make one observation about this passage and then four implications. First observation is that this is a Trinitarian passage. Do you notice that? I mean, you might have because I've told you about what, what the message is going to be about. But had I not told you that, would you have noticed that? We want to notice it. I really didn't notice it before until I started delving more deeply into this topic. It begins with, do not be drunk with wine, but for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so there's the Spirit. Not just filled with God, but filled with the Spirit. And then we're to sing and make melody to the Lord, who typically in the New Testament is Jesus. But we're giving thanks to God the Father. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. But we're doing it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and then we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Father, Son, and Spirit are all throughout this, this passage. The Father receives our thanks. So you think, well, the Father's God. But, but we sing and make melody to the Lord, who is Jesus. And we're, 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 we're starting with the Spirit fills us. But the parallel passage in Colossians 3.16, a passage that's very similar to this passage, is saying that we're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So what the Spirit's really doing, and if you look at previous parts of Ephesians, what the Spirit is really doing is filling us with Christ. He's filling us with the fullness of God. It's not just being filled with the Spirit so much as it is being filled by the Spirit. So God is encountering us in such a way that While the three persons are distinct from one another, we can't really separate them. They're unique and distinct roles, but they're all worthy of worship. Now, if you're like me, there's still a lot of cloudiness in your thinking when it comes to the Trinity. We can talk about it for one hour and still be as confused at the end as we were at the beginning, and I pray that's not the case. What do we do with this knowledge? What practical difference does it make that the God we claim to worship has revealed Himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. A three-person God. Not three gods. A three-person God. So that the typical way it's stated is there is one God. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son. Okay, great. Yeah. Well done. So what? What difference does that make? Does it make any difference? I mean, some of you might be thinking, oh, I used to have a hard time with prayer. This is making it even worse. This is I mean, this is even more daunting. Like, what if, what if I don't give, give everybody equal time? And will the spirit get upset? Because I really rarely pray to the spirit. And is he saying, hey, what about me? Well, will, is there any... Uh, I don't even know what to pray. How do I pray? So it, it, it can make us feel like we don't want to do this because we're afraid we might mess up. I have great news for you this morning. We don't have to fully understand the Trinity before God hears our prayers and our songs. And my aim in giving this message is not that we get the words exactly right, but that we understand and benefit from the fact that the God we sing and pray to is indeed triumphant. What we want to explore is what difference does this make in our singing and our praying? Because truthfully, a lot of times, we're oblivious to it. I mean, since, since thinking about this more intentionally, it's like, wow, I, I never noticed some things in the Bible that were there before. And I've been a Christian for 41 years. And wow, that song, I never noticed that song says that before. And well, so it's like a little bit more light. Not making things different, but it's kind of like coming into a room where the light's dim and the light's getting brighter, and you see what's really there. So that's what I want to happen this morning. That's what I think God wants to happen this morning, that that we see a little more clearly who he really is and what a difference it makes. So that's the observation that this is a Trinitarian passage. Here are four implications. Number one, a Trinitarian perspective in prayer and song roots us in reality. It roots us in reality. We were we were created and redeemed by a triune God. This is not something that, that theologians dreamed up when they were bored. Like, how can we make Christianity different from everything else? What, what can we do? How about how about a two-person God? No, it three. Okay, yeah, three. They didn't. That's not where this came from. It's true. So when we understand that, we are getting more aligned with reality. So in his first letter, Peter writes... To the He calls them the elect exiles. Someone said they're the selected, rejected. <laughs> the, the, the elect exiles. And he tells them that they were saved. This is First Peter 1, verse 2. Listen to this. Here's how they were saved. Here's how we're saved. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. That's how we're created. That's how we're redeemed. The Trinity is involved in our salvation. The Father foreordains it. According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. The Son accomplishes it. We've been saved for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And then the Spirit applies it to our lives in the sanctification of the Spirit. So that's just in the greeting of the letter. Peter just kind of lays it on thick. He said, just in case you think it was you prayed the sinner's prayer, this is how you got saved. Paul, when he describes the process of salvation for every believer, this is in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 6. He says, when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth His Son, implying that God there is the Father, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba. You see, Father, Son, Spirit. God sends the Son. The Son redeems us. And the Spirit enables us to view God as our Father, to address Him as our, as our Daddy Father, as our loving Father. And when we pray and sing, we're reversing that process. The Spirit is enabling us to pray and sing. We do it through the Son to the Father. Every prayer, every song that is offered up by a Christian is offered up in the power of the Spirit through Jesus Christ to the Father. We pray and sing to the Father through the mediation of Jesus the Son in the enabling power of of the Spirit. That's what's happening, whether we know it or not. So when we start to speak that way and think that way, what's happening? Well, we're lining up with what's really true. We're lining up with the way things really are. That's why early in the letter, Ephesians 2.18, Paul has this little phrase, for through him, Jesus, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access... In one spirit to the Father. It's reality. So Paul and the New Testament writers regularly make these distinctions. They want us to understand what's really going on. They want us to see it in full color, not just black and white. So they they pray that way. They, they, they communicate that way. When Jude wants to protect his readers from the influence of false teachers, he roots them in the reality of the Trinity. He doesn't just say, God's going to help you. God's going to protect you. This is what he says. But you, beloved, building yourselves up. This is verse 20 of Jude. You, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit because he's the one who enables us to pray keep yourselves in the love of god well, where did that come from well he he loved us from before the foundations of the world he foreordained that we would be saved waiting for the mercy of our lord jesus christ which he revealed by coming to die in our place and to rise from the dead who is coming again to display that mercy fully that leads to eternal life spirit Father, Son. Have you ever thought what a massive difference it would make to our prayers if the New Testament writers never distinguished the persons of the Trinity? See, we're, we're not Muslims. We're not Buddhists. We're not Jehovah's Witnesses. We're not Mormons. Christianity is unique in that there is Father, Son, and Spirit. Spirit. So, Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. Apart from the Trinity, would sound like this: "The grace, love, and fellowship of God be with you all." Well, how can have God? How can God have fellowship with anybody if it's just Him? The grace. How can He love anybody if it's just Him or her or whoever? That's the questions that could arise. This is what Paul prays: the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's richer, isn't it? It's like, oh, wow. There's like relationships there. And we're, we've been invited into them. It's exactly right. Listen to Ephesians 3, 14 through 17, without the Trinity. For this reason, I bow my knees before God, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power in your inner being, so that he may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay. That's a good prayer. But listen to how Paul prays it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, we remember Christ. We, we, we've we got four gospels that tell us who he is what He did while He was here. We have all, all the whole New Testament that tells, tells us what He's doing now. We can kind of imagine that Christ is dwelling in my heart through the power of the Spirit. And this comes from the Father. It's richer. It's 3D. Listen to this, Ephesians 1, 16 and 17. I do not cease to give thanks, asking that God may give you wisdom and revelation in knowing Him. Okay, I do not cease to... I, I do not cease to give thanks. I ask God that he may give you wisdom and revelation so you can know him. That's a good prayer. Here's what's actually there. I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Father, Son, and Spirit working on our behalf that we might know Him. And one more, because I find these so fascinating. Romans fifteen thirty, I appeal to you, brothers, by God and His love to strive together with me in your prayers to God. I appeal to you, brothers, by God and His love to strive together with me in your prayers to God. Here's what Paul said. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Why make these distinctions? Why is this this even an issue? Because it's the way things really are. Certainly there are times when the New Testament writers only pray to God, Jesus, or the Father and Jesus. Philippians 1.3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. 1 Timothy 1.12, to Jesus, I thank Him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord. Or 1 Thessalonians 3.11, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So we have those examples as well. But even when the Spirit isn't mentioned, He is implied, He is active. Everything we do in this life is empowered and enabled by the Spirit of God, whom if Jesus had not gone back to the Father, would not have been poured out into our lives, into our hearts. It's the Spirit who enables us to preach. We are baptized in one Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. We confess Christ as Lord only by the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12.3 tells us. We are sealed by the Spirit. We are sanctified by the Spirit. So why don't we see a lot of prayers to the Spirit? Well, because it's characteristic of the Holy Spirit not to draw attention to Himself, but to point to Jesus for the glory of God. Of the Father. It's 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 an amazing. It's an amazing reality. So singing and praying. With the Trinity in view. Roots us in reality. We don't have to constantly reference. The Father, Son and Spirit. In our songs and prayers. To be Trinitarian. There's just no other way they can be. We don't have a choice in that. That's how. That's how God set it up. Whether we mention one. We're just God, or God and Jesus, or or Father, Son, and Spirit. Our prayers can be no other way. So being aware of that roots us in reality. Okay, here's number two. Trinitarian prayer and song fuels our faith. How many times do you wonder if God really hears your prayers? Or songs? Or even wants to hear them? Do you ever wonder if God's saying, you know, that's just not sounding very good or sincere. I'm checking out. I'm going on to the church down the street. Much better band. Much better singing. More sincere hearts. How many times do we finish a time of corporate worship and just feel like, you know, I'm not even sure God was here. Just felt so dry. Felt kind of empty. Prayers felt lifeless. God seemed unaware, uninvolved. One of the greatest joys of of keeping the Trinity in view when we pray and sing is knowing that God himself is praying and singing with us. This will change the way you pray. It will change the way you sing. The Spirit is filling us with Christ as we sing. We are singing, says in this passage, in the name of... Of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit and Jesus are both at work as we sing and we pray. We're not left on our own. We're, this is not our own initiative. We don't simply pray and sing to God. We pray and sing with God. Or more precisely, Jesus and the Spirit pray and sing with and for us. Listen to this. Romans 8:34 says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and is even now interceding for us. He prays to the Father for us. Hebrews 2:12, which is really a passage that highlights Jesus' humanity. Quote Psalm 22 and Jesus says I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Jesus sings the praise as a man. He sings the praise of the Father in our midst as we sing. It's astounding. Right here. What's the name of this place? Vision Valley. How appropriate. We were in the Valley of Vision this morning in Vision Valley. Right here, Jesus is in our midst singing with us that's why the phrase in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is so important you know, we think of that as well I just tack it on the name of all my at the end of all my prayers I mean I pray whatever I want and then I say in the name in the name of Jesus and we could, we can do it without even thinking about it in the name of Jesus it's so important and it's so amazing that we get to pray in the name of of Jesus, Because the name of Jesus stands for all He is. And so it's like saying we're praying in Jesus Christ. We are joining in the praise of Jesus to His Father. We are joining in the prayers of Jesus to His Father. We're joining in, by God's Spirit, in the relationship of Jesus to His Father. Now... If that doesn't fuel your faith, so, so we we are we're joining in on those prayers. So when when Jesus prayed in John seventeen, or when, when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, as Jesus intercedes for us now, we we get to join in on that. We get to be a part of that as as Jesus is expressing his dependence on the Father and his his need for the Father. He says, you know, apart from the Father, I can do nothing. Um, Our our prayers are likened to that because we are in Jesus Christ. We're expressing the same dependence that Jesus did on his Father and receiving the same supply. So our prayers in Jesus' name reflect his relationship of eternal, joyful submission to the Father. And we we get to be a part of that. It's, It's pretty amazing. And then the Spirit, the Spirit's not sitting around. Romans 8, 26 says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So Jesus is interceding for us, and the Spirit is interceding for us. Do, you, do we understand what that means? God himself is interceding for us. And how often do we feel when we, when we pray or, or when we sing that God is way out there? And we're just trying to reach Him somehow. You know, sometimes leaders lead like that. If we just do something wrong enough and hard enough and passionately enough, eventually God will show up. And that's just not biblical. That's not the reality. Jesus is with us. The Spirit is with us, empowering what we do. So when we don't have the right words and the right phrases, when we're distracted, when we start praying and 10 seconds into it have to go back again and 10 seconds into it have to go back again and 10 seconds into it have to go back, and and we just say, I am so distracted. I can't pray. God's not going to hear this. Jesus and the Spirit are helping us in our weakness. They might be talking. I don't want to get too <laughs> imaginative here. He's never going to do it. She's, never- she's not going to make it. Let's just pray for him. Okay. <laughs> They're praying for us. God himself is praying for us. They pray the will of the Father using our, at times, faltering, repetitive, confusing, and disjointed prayers which is only going to make us want to pray more and sing more. It's like knowing that, that we'll, we'll get a super boost every time we pray. It's there. Jesus is praying for us. The Spirit is praying for us. And if God were a single person God, this wouldn't be happening. Then, then entering into his life would, would be becoming independent and, and self-sufficient. God is self-sufficient, but not in the way we think of it. God is Father, Son, and Spirit, and Jesus has become like us so that we might enjoy the same relationship He has with the Father. And that, that fuels our faith. And it is the Spirit who actually joins us to Christ. We have been enabled through the work of the Spirit to relate to God as Jesus Himself did and does as Father. God has sent the Spirit as the down payment, the seal of our inheritance, who bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, which is why it's so important that in the text we're looking at, that he begins with, be filled with the Spirit or be filled by the Spirit. The Spirit of God himself is in our midst as we do these things and on top of all that, Jesus tells us that the, tells us that the Father knows what we need before we ask him. So we could be tempted to think that because Jesus and the Spirit and the Father are doing so much we don't need to do anything. Why not just sit back and let Jesus pray and the Spirit pray? The Father already knows what we need before we ask him. so we're just going to let it all happen. Well, the reason we don't do that is because God is about transformation. He wants to make us like his son. He wants us to love him like Jesus does. And he wants us to know that we are loved like Jesus the son is. So prayer and singing are two of the ways he does that. It's pretty wild. You know, I often read this passage a different way. Uh, it would say, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I saw that as, okay, i got to get myself filled with the Spirit so I can sing and so I can make melody to the Lord and so I can submit to other people and so I can give thanks. I've got to be filled with the Spirit. I don't believe that's exactly what the passage is saying. I think it's saying that as we do these things, God's Spirit will fill us with the fullness of Christ. He will fill us with the fullness of God, which is pretty amazing. Christopher Coxworth wrote a book called Holy, Holy, Holy. He says this about, Uh, our participation in what Jesus and the Spirit are doing. The confidence that God has given the Spirit to the church should not lead us to complacent assurance that authentic worship will automatically happen simply by virtue of the fact that we are the church. It should compel us to enter more deeply into the gift God has given so that our worship can be truly inspired by virtue of the fact that the Spirit is breaking us out of our preoccupation with ourselves and taking us into the love which Christ has for God. Can you imagine loving the Father as much as Jesus does? That's what God sent the Spirit to enable us to do to transform us into that mindset. Knowing that Jesus and the Spirit help us in our prayers and songs will inspire us to enter more deeply, to seek to enter more deeply into fellowship with God. God's concern is not so much that we get all the names right as that we become aware of the resources He has provided for us in Jesus and the Spirit. So, having a Trinitarian mindset fuels our faith, makes us want to sing, makes us want to pray. Number three, Trinitarian prayer and song deepens our delight. It deepens our delight. Is prayer something you avoid or neglect rather than pursue and enjoy? I mean, if we were to stand up and one by one give an account of our prayer life, would would any of us be saying, oh, yeah, I'm praying as much as I want to? or need to, or ought to. Isn't there this kind of sense of guilt and condemnation that comes into view every time we talk about prayer? That and evangelism, those are the two that just kind of do it. Yeah, prayer, yeah, yeah, I should pray. Does prayer bring to mind guilt more often than expectation and satisfaction? Do you ever see singing to God as a a duty or a chore, an obligation or a burden rather than a privilege and a joy. If that's the case. Understanding how the Father, Son, and Spirit are involved in our praying, praying and singing will change our perspective. Because the Trinity is not a puzzle to be figured out, but a relationship to enjoy. The goal is not complete understanding but complete delight. We're not trying to unravel God. He is revealing Himself to us. It's totally different. And He does that through His Spirit. See, there's a difference between the abiding presence of the spirit and the experiential presence of the spirit the spirit is always with us if you are a christian you have the spirit of christ if you are a believer in jesus christ you've turned from your sins you've trusted in christ the spirit of christ indwells you but that doesn't mean you always experience the spirit or what the spirit intends to do in our lives it is as we act like the Spirit that God reveals himself. So these four activities that are contained in this passage addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all our hearts, giving thanks to the Father in everything and always, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the way the Spirit is. That's what, that's what He's like. And we are, we are entering into a, an eternal fellowship of the triune God, which means God never intends just for us to go through the motions when we sing, when we pray. He wants us to enjoy that relationship. So it's the Spirit who unites us to the Son And it's through the Son that we've been reconciled to the Father who hears us out of His love for us. One of the most precious verses in the New Testament is when Jesus says to the disciples, there will come a day when I will not ask the Father for you in my name, but you can ask Him yourself because the Father Himself loves you. It speaks of God's pre-creation love for those that He would save through Jesus. The Father himself loves you. And that's why we can give thanks always and for everything to God the Father. Give thanks always and for everything? Well, yes. Always and for everything. Doesn't mean that we have to give thanks for sin. But we can give thanks that we have a Father who is working that sin for our good and for His glory. Always and for everything. Sometimes we can approach God as the judge, the omnipotent one, the the ruler, the sovereign transcendent. And just He feels so far away. And He is all of those. Sometimes we can approach God as uninvolved, uncaring, unaware, feeling like we have to twist His arm to, to get Him to do something. He is none of those. This is what is true for every Christian. In Christ God is our loving Father. He is your loving Father who passionately and personally loves you. I was trying to think of an analogy. How how could I describe this? And I thought of what if I took one of my children out as they were growing up to celebrate their birthday? Took them to a really fancy restaurant, one of the one of the five-star restaurants, and we're we're gonna celebrate. I just want maybe their thirteenth birthday. gonna big you know big event. I'm gonna take them out. So so we're there, sitting at dinner, and and let's say my daughter asked me, Dad. Is it okay if I get a Coke this time instead of water? And I think, well, well, of course. We're here to celebrate. I mean, this, what do you, because she would know that I typically would say, water, that's it, water, it's just getting water. Six kids, that's what you do, just water. Or or what if she said, you know what, I'm not even going to ask my dad uh, if I can get a Coke, because he'll say no. And I'm just going to get like rolls, just get bread, whatever bread the way Because I know he'll never pay for a good meal. Or what if she's thought, or what if she told me, Dad, you know, um, I'm just going to get the, the, the fillet because uh, I'll just pay for it myself. Because I know you won't. What would I say to her? I say, you, you have no idea how I feel towards you. You have no idea how I want to bless you. And and the things you're saying to me, that you, there's such a distortion of my character. There's such a distortion of who I am, and what I want to do for you. And yet, how often do we approach God that way? God, I'm not even going to ask you to do this because I don't think you will. I'll pray once, but that's it. Or, or we feel bad for asking God to do something which, which we believe is His will, but it benefits us, so... We're not going to pray it because we know God just wants us to suffer. Say you're single. And when you think of a spouse, you think, well, I just know God's going to give me someone someone who's ugly and wants to move out of the country. I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. I mean, because, you know, suffering makes us more like Christ and that's that's what God wants to do. Oh, oh, how we misjudge the heart of our Father. And He's not our Father because we've been so good. He's our Father because Jesus has been so good. (laughs) And Jesus has been the Son for all eternity. And guess what? We get invited into that relationship. So in Scripture, when, when it says that, you know, you are now all sons of God, that's not a slight to the women, Because there are other places where it talks about us being children of God. It's saying that you get the same relationship as the son does to the father. It's, (laughs) It's quite amazing. Mike Reeves is a good friend from the UK. He's written a book called Delighting in the Trinity. And this is a section of what he writes in that book. John Calvin said that we pray, as it were, through Jesus' mouth. The Father has always longed to hear the prayers of His dear Son. And we pray in His name. The Son gives us His name to pray in so that we might pray as Him. That relationship between the Father and the Son is what we've been brought in to enjoy. And in prayer, that's what we do. So once again, prayer is exercising faith. Believing God's almost incredible promise that we can come to Him even though our coldness And our guilt screams otherwise. We must believe the Most High is our loving Father. So that means, going back to the dinner analogy, even if my daughter wasn't feeling loved, even if she was feeling far from me, it wouldn't change my heart to her one bit. I'd still want to bless her. We pray and sing as dearly loved sons and daughters, not merely pardoned criminals. Massive difference. And of course, we can also pray to the Son because He is God and He invites our prayers. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Second Thessalonians 3.16, Paul says, Now may the Lord of peace Himself... Give you peace at all times and in every way. Second Thessalonians 2 16, I love this. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. So we can we can pray to Jesus. We can pray to the Spirit, Spirit at times. He is fully God. But when we pray to the Spirit, we wanna we wanna pray to Him in ways that correspond with what He does. So singing endlessly, Spirit, fill us, Spirit, fill us, is not not what we're called to do. We're called to ask the Spirit to transform us, to glorify Christ in us, to make us love the Father more, to make us aware of our adoption. Those are the things we can ask the Spirit to do. But normally, our prayers and our songs will be directed to the Father who loves us more than we could possibly imagine and is eager to to hear our prayers and our songs as He would hear His own Son. That's the third point. Here's the last point. A Trinitarian perspective underscores our unity. Underscores our unity. God reveals Himself as triune not to make us more heady and isolated, but more loving and Interactive. We see God as Trinity not to make us more heady and isolated but more loving and interactive. Paul says in Ephesians 4.3 that we're to strive to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Spirit as well as the Father and the Son want to make us more mindful of each other as we pray and as we sing. It's very different from the mindset that says when we come together, our purpose is to kind of imagine ourselves in hermetically sealed apartments, unaware, completely oblivious to anyone around us. And the goal is simply to have this encounter with me and Jesus. That's it. That's the mindset often in Christian gatherings. That's not what God intends. We have been invited into communion with the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's why being filled with the Spirit here, or being filled by the Spirit is not simply something that involves private mystical experiences, but corporate worship and relationships. The fullness of the Spirit can only be experienced in community. So the command at the beginning of this passage is literally, you all, it's it's corporate, it's plural, you all be continually filled by the Spirit with the fullness of Christ and God, and so, when we pray and sing to the Triune God together, we enjoy fellowship not only with the Father, Son, and Spirit, but with each other as well that 's why when we sing i 'm most of the time i 'm singing with my eyes open and and if i 'm standing up here, and if you, if uh, hopefully you 're not looking, but you know i 'll just regularly just kind of look around and see you all. Because together we have been made acceptable to God in Jesus Christ. And through His Spirit, we are now singing to the Father for His glory. And isn't it amazing that we get to do this together? It's incredible. The Father, Son, and Spirit don't invite us into their communion so we can just be alone. In fact, when God created Adam, as soon as He created Adam, He said, It is not good that man be alone alone. Because he created us for real fellowship with one another. That's one of the reasons why the internet will never be a substitute for real community. I mean, you can get to know people on Facebook, kind of. You can get people to know through comments and blogs and chats. But not like this. Not like this where you see real faces. Even even Skype FaceTime I mean that's okay, that's better. yeah I can see them. but you know what? I can go up and touch Brendan and that means something because God made us with bodies and they're good. They're meant for His glory. So when he calls us into his Trinitarian fellowship, it's meant to be in community. And if you're one of those people say, well I just like to be alone. God wants to change you. (laughs) Sorry. He wants to make you like Jesus, who has loved the Father from eternity and known the Father's love from eternity. He wants you to enjoy that. It's so much better than being alone. We wouldn't need anyone else. If God were a single person God, we wouldn't need anyone else if we were going to sing and pray to Him. But he's not a single person God. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. And so he calls us to unity. And that unity is underscored in our singing and praying. And it reminds us that God is not three gods. He's one God. We have to come back to that. He is one God. We worship with one act of adoration the triune God who designed, accomplished, and applied to our hearts the glorious plan of redemption so that God could have a people who love and enjoy and worship Him forever. It's amazing. God intends for us both to relate to him as the one God and distinctly as Father, Son, and Spirit. But as we process this, we find it's hard to stay on one with one or the other. And that was expressed by an ancient church father, Gregory of Nazianzus, who said this, No sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them then I am carried back to the one. And that's that's what I found personally, is God is just a lot more glorious than I thought he was. He's a lot more near than I thought he was. He's a lot more loving than I thought he was. Because he is Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's important that in our conversations about the triune God, that we not lose sight of what is of first importance as we become more conscious of the Trinity. It is the word of Christ that is to dwell in us richly. That's from the passage in Colossians. The word about Christ. It's the gospel. It's entirely appropriate for our minds to be filled with thoughts of the Father who loves us and sent his Son to redeem us. It's what the Spirit was sent to do, to glorify Jesus. So it's totally right that we sing to Jesus and sing so many songs about the gospel because that's what the Spirit is empowering us to do and that's what the Father loves to hear. He's most honored when we join Him in treasuring, exalting, delighting in and obeying His precious Son to whom He has given the name above all names. It's what He was intending at the Transfiguration, Mount of Transfiguration, when when Jesus appeared with Moses and Elijah, and, and the Father speaks. He said, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Something similar happened at His baptism. Spirit descended in the form of a dove. And the Father says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's what the Father wants us to see. So I want to close with a, a hymn by Isaac Watts, and then we're going to ask Jesse if we could sing O oh Great God again, and maybe you'll sing it a little differently. Um, this is We give immortal praise. We give immortal praise to God the Father's love for all our comforts here and better hopes above. He sent his own eternal Son to die for sins that man had done. To God the Son belongs immortal glory too, who bought us with His blood from everlasting woe. And now He lives, and now He reigns, and sees the fruit of all His pains. To God the Spirit's name immortal worship give, whose new creating power makes the dead sinner live. His work completes the great design and fills the soul with joy divine. Almighty God, to Thee, the endless honors done, the undivided three and the mysterious one. Where reason fails with all her powers, their faith prevails and love adores. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power, the Spirit's power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.